comes from being temporarily separated from your child in the chaos of a busy store or, or stadium or some busy location? What about the results of when our nation learned to separate an atom? A separation that seemed impossible for so long. Have you heard about the Castle Twins? It's a fascinating story. These twins were born in April of last year. Elizabeth and Susanna were born as conjoined twins to a Christian family in Alabama. And after months of sharing internal parts, the the twins underwent some amazing surgeries right here in, in Philadelphia. And then they endured some many months of touch-and-go recovery. In fact, it was just this past week that the whole family is home again in Alabama for the first time in over 338 days. I know the Castle family would, would appreciate you to continue to pray for them. Separating some things seems easy, doesn't it? I mean, kids do wander off in a store, don't they? But separating conjoined twins is really, really hard. In our study this morning, we'll look at a relationship that seems easy to separate. But we will find out it's actually impossible. It's the love of God for his children. And that's inseparable love that God has for his children is at the very crux of a Christian's security or of our assurance that we have in our status with God. Would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 for our final time going through Romans 8 in, in our series. We're studying the undeserved, unmatched, unstoppable gospel of Jesus in the book of, of Romans. Chapters 5 through 8 talk to us about the assurance of the gospel and that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to be curious of whether we're secure in this good news that Jesus has, has provided for us. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to celebrate the security that you have in God. I want to encourage you to celebrate, to worship God because of the assurance that he has made known to you that he's allowed you to experience. Not just today, all week long, all year long, with your life, celebrate the assurance that God has provided to you. I would encourage you to go back over Romans 5 through 8 often in your Christian walk. Listen to, to messages again from Romans 5 through 8 on our website or through the podcast. Hone in on the, the blessing of being secure in the Lord. Friend, if you have not experienced that assurance, you're not yet born again, I would encourage you to listen carefully to the word this morning. These nine last verses of, of Romans chapter 8 are, are somewhat like a hymn. They celebrate the security that we possess, that we enjoy, because we are in Christ. This, this anthem of praise is really the climax of what Paul has been teaching all through these four, these four chapters. Would you please follow along as I begin reading in verse number 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely or graciously give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ Jesus that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, 
who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We looked at the first part of this, this anthem, this hymn of celebration last week. Essentially, the second half of the celebration hymn repeats what we read in the first half. The chief difference in the, in the first and the second half is seen in the shift from judicial language, God being for us, to the relational language of God's love in Christ for us. And isn't that assuring? Nothing separates us from the love of God. The only thing that we would really have to fear in this life, the only thing that could actually bring harm to us is to be separated from the love of God. And this text teaches us that's impossible. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Christian, nothing means nothing. Whatever you face in life or death, you can be assured that God loves you and that nothing can separate you from that love. God loves you no strings attached. With all of the, the potential fears and struggles of life, and you can think through what yours are right now. You can consider the struggles or the, the hardships of, of your current life. Whatever the struggles towards holiness, physical struggles, financial woes, whatever emotional trauma, whatever struggles we may face, the Apostle Paul wants to leave no doubt about it. God is for us. God loves us. No strings attached. Paul notes some unsuccessful threats to God's love. He makes a confident claim to God's love. And then he briefly mentions the ultimate display of God's love. So let's begin then with the unsuccessful threats to God's inseparable love. It's a great question, isn't it? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And it's helpful to go through this exercise because that's how we live. There are times that we wonder about God's love. There's some really dark, hard situations that we or others face. And we begin to question God's love. Not even in an ungodly way, not even uh, doubting that God is good. We just want to know, how could this happen? And God still be loving. Are there, are, 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 and there are times when, when we aren't doubting it. We just need to hear about God's love. We need to be reminded of it. And maybe that's your situation this morning. So Paul looks it square in the eye and he asks, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? The who is actually like, more like what, because the apostle goes on to, to list a set of potential circumstances. These are not even 
really potential threats because nothing is truly a, a threat against the might, the power of God. Instead, this list is, is made up of some unsuccessful threats to the inseparable love of God. What circumstance would drive a wedge between God and us? What situations could be able to separate us from the love of God that he has for us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul gives to us a list. He asks this question. This list is, is almost identical to a list that we will find in 2 Corinthians 11 as well, where the apostle Paul, again there, gives this list, but he testifies that he has experienced all of them, except for the sword, and that would come later. The apostle concludes that everything on this list failed to sever the relationship of God's love with his children. Now this isn't a list that you need to commit to memory. It's intended, though, to stretch our minds and to drive home the point that in all of life, God's love does not change. Paul begins here in verse 35. He asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, shall tribulation? That word means being squeezed or placed under pressure. It's talking about severe adversity, just in a general sense. A prolonged hardship. A trial that squeezes or places the Christian under great pressure. I'm thinking about people like Joni Erickson Tata, or Brian Gerber, who have faced long physical adversity. I'm thinking about a dear friend in Goldsboro, North Carolina, who has lived in poverty, who has been treated with much unkindness from others and lived with medical issues for decades. Christian, have you lived in tribulation? Do you feel the adversity like you're being squeezed or placed under inordinate pressure over a long period of time? Paul reminds you today that tribulation does not separate a Christian from God's love. He says, he goes on in his list and he talks about distress. So tribulation or distress, it's, a, it's referring to strict confinement or being helplessly hemmed in. Maybe we could think about being caught in the repeated struggle, a temptation to sin, or an ongoing situation, maybe in a relationship. I'm thinking about somebody who is who's an alcoholic or an addict of, of some substance. I'm thinking about besetting and cyclical sins. Those who feel like they are hemmed in because of the life-dominating sin. Or maybe a widow who feels alone and confined by their lots, by her lot in life. There is distress. Or maybe those who have made poor life choices in the past and now they are tempted to believe the lie of the devil that it's too late for them. They feel hemmed in. Distress does not separate God's child from his love. Paul goes on, he talks about persecution. This is, this is, is, is referring to the afflicted, being afflicted for the sake of, of Christ. Christ referred to it, to, or spoke of it in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are Christians in our world that face real and difficult persecution because of their faith in Jesus. Pray for the persecuted church. And when you pray, ask God to remind our brothers and sisters 
that even persecution will not be able to separate them from God's love for them. Paul goes on. He says, can, can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine separate us from God's love? Now, speaking honestly this morning, from the looks of it, this isn't something that we've experienced personally. No offense to be taken, right? This isn't talking about the grocery store not having our favorite brand of bacon because of supply chain issues. This is actual famine, lack of food. Throughout history, Christians have suffered from famine. And I think it's, in, it's inclusion, uh, Paul's inclusion of this uh, on, the, on the list reminds us that hardships that Christians face go far beyond what our own personal experiences are. I don't know what it's like not to have enough food, but I can imagine the anxiety, the horror of worrying about not having enough food. Brothers and sisters, famine is not able to separate a Christian from God's love. Then he goes on, he says nakedness. Now this isn't referring to just nudity, it's a reference to being destitute. So much so that, that someone is not sufficiently able to be clothed. Again, we are blessed, aren't we? This is hard for us to imagine in our own lives, at least until we turn on the news. I'm thinking about the 2.5 million Ukrainians who have fled their homeland. I'm wondering how many of them are experiencing a lack of adequate clothing on their journey. We have brothers and sisters in Christ among that group of 2.5 million people, and they can know that being destitute of clothing does not separate them from God's love. They can be assured that even in this situation, God loves them. Paul says next on the list, peril. This is being exposed to danger from, from treachery and mistreatments. I'm thinking about those who have survived maybe a horrible car accident. They were close to death, but they didn't die. Neither did they fully recover. I'm thinking about children who have heard about God's love in their Sunday school class, but have gone home and have experienced abuse in their home from those who gave birth to them. I'm thinking about our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who have experienced racial prejudice that included physical, mental, emotional, and sexual mistreatments. I'm thinking about Christian women who have been mistreated in their marriage by the very one who has been called to model the love of Christ. I'm thinking about friends of mine who are in the heart of China as gospel workers. They've been warned about the peril that they face. They've experienced treacherous situations. The danger is very real for their family. Paul wants these kinds of people, the people who face this kind of peril, who are exposed to such danger, he wants them to know that even that cannot separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Finally, on this list, Paul says the sword. The last on the list is, is one that Paul had not yet experienced, but would one day he would. Suggest those who were murdered rather than those who were killed by a war weapon. And we can think of Christians throughout history who have been murdered because of their faith in Christ. Acts chapter 8 records for us Stephen's death. We think of John Huss or William Tyndale or John and Betty Stam or Jim Elliott's more recently, even martyrdom cannot separate a Christian from the love of God. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. These are the ones that cannot be separated from the love of God. Paul, in verse number 36, he, he quotes from Psalm 44, verse 22, which says, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul wants us to understand that for Christians, regular setbacks are going to happen. Repeated challenges are going to be part of our Christian walk. Even the prospect of death can be expected. It's part of what God has called us to experience in the Christian journey. The point is to acknowledge that suffering is part of the journey. Have an expectation of suffering. It's part of what we're called to. Now a quick word of, of clarification. Just because we haven't been threatened by a sword, just because our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world face dangers and hardships that we don't face, doesn't cancel out Paul's point to us at Harvest Bible Church this morning. There are many obstacles. There is lots of opposition. But none of them are successful in separating us from the love of God. Martin Luther said it this way, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The truth of the matter is this, we often feel undone don't we? We feel as if the circumstances of this life do threaten to separate us from God's love. Our sinful choices, our yielding to temptation is one of the means of, of when we might begin to doubt God's care for us. Or how about grief following the death of a loved one? We might be tempted to doubt God's ongoing care for us. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? We try not to defend ourselves, but then we hear stuff and we feel like God is, God, do you still love me through this? There are times that we feel that God maybe has left us. We wonder if God has forsaken us. And in those times, we must believe his word instead of how we feel. So poor life choices can't separate you from the love of God. Betrayal by, by other friends can't separate you from the love of God. Grief cannot separate you from the love of God. Whatever you face, regardless of, of all of life's circumstances, temptations to sin or relationships or financial hardships, whatever the case may be, you can rest assured that it cannot separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. Nothing means nothing. Whatever you face in life or death, you can be assured that God loves you and that nothing can separate you from that love. So we see all of these threats to God's inseparable love. They will be unsuccessful because of his love. Secondly, Paul gives to us 
the confident claim to God's inseparable love. Uh, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ in verse number 35? And then he, he, he gives an answer that, that nothing will separate us. In verse 37, he says, nay, or no. It's not just uh, no, it's, it's no way, nothing, no way, never is going to separate you. There's no possibility of being separated from the love of God. In regards to all of the unsuccessful threats, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. So Paul says it goes beyond being a conqueror. It's talking about being a super conqueror. He refers to, to a drive to be dominant. He refers to, to conquering all of the opposition. That is exactly how I feel when our family gathers to play the board game of Monopoly. Right? I'm ruthless. I'm out to get a whole side of the board and own all the properties, put hotels in all of them, and I'm like, go bankrupt, you people. Show me the money, baby. I want to claim the victory. By the way, I'm looking for some more people who would be interested in playing Monopoly someday with me. Paul is talking about being a complete victor, dominance. He's talking about having confidence when he says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We don't simply endure life's hardships, although endurance is perseverance is, is part of what we will. It's part of our journey. But it's not just that we will endure. It's not a matter of like a survival mode mentality. It's a matter of being confident, of dominating. We come out of the hardship stronger and we have an eternal reward. That is why we are more than conquerors. Paul says, I am convinced. I am persuaded in verse number 38. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, this is confidence that is to be mimicked. It's to be imitated. Paul gives another list. This one is mostly comes in pairs, and he, he reminds us of, again, the reality that nothing, none of these things can separate us from God's love. He says, you know, I'm, I'm confident, I'm sure, I'm persuaded, neither death nor life. So he gives us this first pair. Neither of them can separate us from God's love. I've been with believers. I've been with brothers and sisters in Christ who were, who were on their deathbed, and they were too weak to sit up. But at a time, they raised their hands, and with a smile, they said, Jesus. And there was only a passing from one world to the next. There was no kind of forfeiture of God's love because, because of death on, in, in this world. They just passed. They just transitioned from, from, from this life, from this world, and to another. Death cannot separate us from God's love. Life, this is where all the troubles of verse 35 occur. So in, in these two states of existence, life or death, we are still not separated from God's love. He says angels and principalities. This is talking about the, the spirit world. Uh, angels is talking about uh, heavenly beings. Galatians chapter 1, Paul wrote a warning not to accept another gospel even if an angel preached it. It's a, it's a hypothetical, impossible situation to, to teach us that God's love, we cannot be separated from that even if an, if an angel would. Principalities refers to fallen angels. No supernatural being, good or bad, can separate us from God's love. The next pair is 
the, the present or things present or things to come. So time doesn't separate us. No powers, no current powers, no authority in the world can separate us. Height or depth, the entire universe from beginning to ending cannot separate us. And then he says, nor anything else in all of creation. Well, that about covers the bases, doesn't it? No person, not even ourselves. No being, not even an angel or a demon. No time period, no life status, life or death. No exceptions. Nothing means nothing. This is the Apostle Paul's confidence claim. Christian, it is yours as well. Claim with confidence your status with God. Boldly claim that nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. Live with confidence that you are more than a conqueror. That's not an, that's not an, an arrogant thing to do. It's the current situation of your, of your life. Living with confidence doesn't mean that you cannot sin. It means that God won't stop loving you because you do sin. Living with confidence that you are more than a conqueror is, is not a pass or a license just to live however you would like. Rather, it's a motivation to live free from sin. Christian, nothing means nothing. Whatever you face in life or in death, you can be assured that God's love for you cannot be separated from you. You cannot be severed from the love of God. So Paul lists these unsuccessful threats. He gives his confident claim to the inseparable love of God. And then he, at the very end, he briefly mentions the ultimate demonstration of God's inseparable love. Do you see it in verse 39? He says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Here it is. Which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is no greater demonstration of God's love than the sacrifice of his only son. Earlier in his letter to Rome, Paul had stated it plainly in chapter 5. God shows his love toward us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died. Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We know the love of God through the Son of God. We know the love of God through the blood that Jesus shed. The sacrifice that God made is, we've considered it much this morning. It's beyond our finite minds. God the Father killed his only son so that people could be rescued from eternal death. The very people who had rebelled against him. The very people who deserved eternal death. Friend, the scriptures invite you, God invites you to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you haven't experienced God's love, you don't know, you haven't trusted in this demonstration of God's love through his son, today could be the day of salvation for you. You are invited to trust Christ. Christian, you are invited to continue to thank Jesus for being the chief demonstration of God's inseparable love for you. Separation. Separation. Sometimes it appears easy. Other times it seems attainable. Nuclear fission can separate an atom. Geographical distance can separate a husband and a wife who are in love but are separated for whatever reason. Chaos can separate parents from their kids in Costco. Surgery can separate conjoined twins. 
who are, bo- who, are, who are born connected. But for the Christian, there is one thing that cannot be separated. Nothing can separate a Christian from God's love. Christian, God has set his perfect and wondrous love on you. And nothing can separate you from that. God loves you, no strings attached. You've been chosen by God to be conformed to the image of Christ. You belong to Jesus. Not for today only, not for this week or for this year, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. The reality that that we have been loved by God for eternity changes how we live. It changes how we think. It changes how we worship. It changes how we face this life, how we face the the choices that we make uh, with with confidence and the reality that the Almighty God of the universe has, has purposed to make you holy and happy, and literally nothing can thwart that plan. We have God's Word, and so that especially in the times of life when we are trying to figure out what God is doing, we may experience peace. Peace is the result of understanding that God's love never, ever stops. There is literally never a a second of your life that you are not the object of God's eternal love. God has set his love on you, Christian. Paul, it's almost as if Paul screams at us. It's by grace, Christian. That's why it's safe. You have no need to fear. So Christians, let's land our hearts and our minds on this reality. Let's keep thinking. Let's keep pondering it. Let's keep studying it. Let's keep finding hope in the truth that God loves us and that nothing can stop that. That we can't be separated from God's love for us. Let's keep being reminded that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the sin of death has set you free from the law, of, for, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the the things of the flesh, it brings death. But to set the minds on the things of the Spirit brings life and peace. For For to set the mind on the things of the flesh, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, if indeed the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors, 
not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of, of slavery, to, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, to, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to sin and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, the whole creation, has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And not the creation only, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he does not see, but if we wait, who hopes for what he sees, but if we, do not, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not even know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.